The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. We're not allowed to have fun anymore. So lieu of fun, let's at least not be bored. Come on, Greek chorus. It's time and to we're get live. It is Monday, March 7, 5.023, it switched as I was saying it, 5.03 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we are not allowed to have any fun anymore. Ukraine is not allowed to have fun anymore. The good people of Russia using their Visa and MasterCard are not allowed to have fun anymore, or Apple Pay, or uh, we... Uh, the the inner Alex Vinman is having some fun on the internet today, but that's about it as far as I can tell. Um, uh, but we are allowed to have Nate Lubin on to talk about his article, um, and it's going to be a peer reviewed study that is going to be coming out um, in like hopefully soon. But was teased really awesomely in the Atlantic, um, and so welcome Nate to In Lieu of Fun. Thanks so much for having me. I will try not to have any fun. Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, don't, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, you're not gonna. That's not a heavy lift. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so Nate, you are. Um, this is kind of. I've just posted a link to the article um, here. I think that and I linked to it on Twitter for those that saw it or maybe like didn't get to get a look at it. But the study that you did, and you're not typically a researcher. Um, so I have to kind of start off by asking you kind of about that. But the study that you did um, looks amazing. It looks incredibly uh, like a huge N, a huge, uh, a huge, huge sample size, a great kind of construction. I um, I want to start off by saying that I wrote a paper called Facebook versus Sullivan, which is about defining public figures um, mm. and political figures. Um, in real life and Facebook kind of taking that into consideration with its policies. And it's actually how the two, the influencer world of super users and influencers like meets up with like kind of the real world, like political figures and public figures that often don't have as many followers. Um, so we should talk about that at some point. I, I'm, but, putting, yeah. I'm, putting, I'm putting it in the chat. Yeah. Your, your, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, Facebook versus all of it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but, so this but, but, but before you start, though, could you yeah. could maybe Nate just tell us yeah, something Nate. about himself? Yeah. Like, who are you? Like, um, Nate, you know, for, it, Nate is a friend of Kate Gage, which is how, like, I would say, like, a solid tenth of the people show up on this show or, like, <laughs> and have, like, some degree of separation to Kate. Um, but yeah, Nate, so, you're typically an Obama person or you were in the Obama, like, campaign. What do you do? Yes, the, the Obama Alumni Network of Kid Gage, uh, connecting everybody. Um, yeah, I worked for, for Barack Obama for a bunch of years in different ways. So I uh, worked for, for both of his campaigns. Uh, I, I was running the digital marketing team for the second one. So that was all the online advertising kind of things related to that. And then I had the chance to go to the White House in the second term for a couple of years. So I was 
uh, running this Office Ops Digital Strategy when some fun things like healthcare.gov happened and net neutrality and a, a bunch of other things like that. Yeah. Wow. Then, that, that's so cool. I, yeah. I just wanted to interject that. That's really cool. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Uh, and then uh, I decided to disappear and so drive across the country. what's it like to peak at 28, Nate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Something like that. I, I know Ben's not on here, but I, I was an intern at Brookings about 15 years ago in government. Oh, really? I'm sure he doesn't remember. But uh, uh, yeah, so I came back to New York, which is where I'm from, and two blocks away from our distinguished host here. And uh, uh, I have been working for the last number of years, uh, first in kind of work with big tech companies and media companies and some work with foundations. And then and the last few years have sort of done more of my own projects that have come out of that work. And so this, this project we're about to talk about was one of the things that came out of that sort of in the world of belief that the internet is pretty terrible and should be better. And some of the ways to do that are to try to shine a light on some of the problems with some of the institutions. Yeah, totally. Um, so tell us, I mean, the, the headline of the of the article says a lot i mean it says that there's a super user supremacy problem um but we don't know what the problem is necessarily and we don't know what a super user is so do you want to start us with that yeah so the 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 study here uh is a lot of wind up basically for two key points right and we all sort of know this by the lived experience if we have spent time on these platforms and looked at what happens we're talking about in particular on public pages and groups where lots and lots of strangers and people can can behave. Uh, when, we, when we look at that, what we find is that um, a small share of the overall population of the platform, the platform is Facebook specifically here, and we're talking about on public pages and groups, a very small share of users in the range of 1% of users account for a huge, huge, huge share of the activity on the platform. So activity here is things like likes, comments, shares, the things that are what's known as engagement. Um, so we can talk about how we know that, but but that's sort of the, the first conclusion. And the second conclusion is that um, because of the way we did this, we could actually look at who some of those top 1% of users actually are, what their behavior is, what they're writing when they write comments. Yeah. And it turns out that about two thirds to three quarters of them are pretty awful. They are sexist, they are homophobic, they are racist, they are posting threats of violence, they are doing that sort of uh, terribleness. So uh, that's the sort of an analytical frame of the work. And then through the lens of a lot of the public reporting that other smart people and journalists have done, although most recently and through the lens of the story, we are looking at the Haugen disclosures, but there's other people have done other things as well. Um, we know that uh, the algorithm in various ways uh, prioritizes engagement to choose what is what is surface for everybody else. Now, the exact mechanism of that is contested and Facebook will deny parts of it. Um, but we know that sort of overall framework is correct. And so pretty much any version of an engagement-based model for sourcing what to show in the algorithm that has this pattern of engagement where a small share of users are dominant means that these terrible people are having a huge say over what everyone else is seeing. Scott, do you want to feel like yeah. how this, yeah, go ahead. So, so is, it, is it just like a volume based? Is that because the 1% are just 
engaging with it so much that they're tilting things? Or is it that because they're stay engaged with something so much, they their engagement gets a higher score than so it, all, it, yeah, I'm sorry, so, go ahead. I know I've often thought like like on Twitter, for example, it, it, it seems like certain people can drive things um, not because they're like they, they keep on retweeting it. It's just that they are more they, they have bigger followers and um, the algorithm gives that greater weight. Or is it more like, no, because they are sending posts out to lots of people, they're engaging with it. So, I mean, is it is it like kind of volume of engagement um, by a couple people, or is it kind of the fact that they have a network of, uh, of, of people that that's what, that they can amplify it? Yeah, so the argument here is really the, the first answer. It's the volume oh, okay, answer. Okay. It's just okay. the preponderance of, of raw things that you see on these, public pages and groups, the, the the posts, the objects that are being put out there just have a huge amount of volume. So, you know, the exact mechanism for how that works, you know, Facebook, interestingly, we talked to them afterward, Atlantic did, and, and they didn't really question any of the numbers that we had. They, they pushed back on some of the mechanism by which the algorithms work. And our response to that was, well, we're going off of whistleblower responses from third parties until you explain how this actually works. You know, that's the best we can do. Um, you know, there is reason to think that it, it's trying to do predictions of what other users will will engage with, right? That's the mechanism that they're trying to do. But the way they do that is through modeling in very complicated ways, these same inputs. But the thing is, whatever complexities you have of these models, if the core inputs all are correlated with each other and they're all skewed to this small set of users, you're going to end up using the small set of users to decide in huge ways what's happening. And we also know external to these kinds of arguments that um, lots of public reporting, that the platform has prioritized engagement of exactly this type in a whole bunch of ways, the way that they manage their teams, the way they give bonuses, the way that they structure all kinds of parts of the platform. So I have a, I have an interest, I, I guess it's somewhat related, but just to kind of drill down into like the type of, like the volume and like the, and the, like the nature of like, are these people that are using the platform in a different way? Like, do they have a million, are they just generally public in terms of their privacy settings? So like as a first instance, are they, are they just generally public? Which I would say is gotta be like a small number of people that like have, haven't like that have either made a conscious decision not to to tamp down their privacy settings or like engage in a public way like the rest of us mostly do on twitter or things like that um and then the other question is that i'm really curious about like what like the volume of content that is being created to the volume of reaction like original content to reaction so like one of the things that I'm doing in a paper right now is I'm trying to kind of discuss how there is an inherent conflicting use in in the nature of content moderated or user generated content platforms, which is like, which is basically like we call them users, but actually all of us are both acting in like a speaking use and in a consuming like listener what we in first amendment we would call like a listener kind of use like to both consume the platform and to like but like a lot of platforms like 
they want more content. They want more speakers. They want more people to create more things on the site. And so like, it makes sense to me that there is a predilection for ratcheting that up. But I'm not hearing you say specifically that it's about like actual, like original posting content happening. I'm hearing you kind of say it's about many levels of like all different types of engagement. And so I'm just kind of curious if you could like define that a little bit more. Yeah. So um, to be clear on what we can see and what we can't see, right? We can't see private posts here. We're not making any claims right. about that. And so I think a lot of the things that, you know, Facebook presumably wants to encourage, maybe they're succeeding, maybe they're not. We, we just don't know about, about that in private. The thing is that these are the kinds of pages and groups though, where a lot of the public dialogue is happening that are the most in the news, the most relevant for, for the kind of political discussions that were happening and also are a huge share of the overall pie of what's happening. Not all of it, but a big part of it. And so um, what we're looking at is the parts that we can see. And so maybe some of these users are, are also posting uh, on their own accounts frequently. They probably are. I would bet a lot of money that they are based on their behavior elsewhere. But this is trying to look at among the places where public dialogue is happening already, um, what's going on there, basically. That was our first part. Like our, our upstream question of this study was not to come in with this hypothesis of this is what we would see. It was to actually look at abuse in the platform generally and sort of what the patterns of that were. That was sort of our research question. And so this came out of that that sort of framing of it. Um, I think you know the 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 details of their behavior is is sort of the question, right? Like at the end of the piece, we we talked about how we looked at these users, you know, in, in 2020 was the part, part of the data set that we were looking at. And we kind of went back again before this piece published and looked at of the most abusive folks, how many of them have been kicked off the platform or had an action taken. And it was a very small share you know, in the range of 5%. And it's not the case of every one of them should be kicked off. I'm not saying that, but it's a number higher than 5%, pretty unequivocally. And so it sort of begs the question of, well, if we can do this with a couple people looking at public data, like, you know, what if you reoriented your review pattern to look at who are the folks who are first the most highly engaged um, versus, you know, the, the, the individual posts that get flagged or that kind of thing. And, and is there a way you could reorganize the review process here that would go after that? And of course, that likely would result in reductions in engagement because you're going after some of the folks that are the most engaged overall. Um, but, you know, the evidence seems to be here that what Facebook mostly wants is people to be on their platform and they want people to be commenting and engaging in exactly what we're talking about here. So that would be counterproductive to that goal. Yeah. So, so can um, th so the, what's kind of, so there are two parts to it. One is that the super users are skewing things um, in their direction. Um, but what's also fascinating about it is that these super users tend to be horrible. Um, and what, what is the connection between those two things? Like it's not, it's not, nece it's not necessarily the case that anyone who uses something a lot is necessarily a terrible, like Scott wants you to validate him. Right. right, that's right. <laughs> I, I need, <laughs> Basically, why, 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 why am I, why, why shouldn't I feel worse about myself, uh, even worse than I already do? 
Well, I got off of Twitter when I left DC, so uh, I can't help you on that one. I mean, I think I think it's definitely not the case that they're all that way, right? I mean, we do see users in these data sets who are, you know, posting gratitude. They're posting, you know, religious notes. They're posting uh, examples that are, you know, positive or the very least neutral. So that, that does exist. It's not like they're all that. Um, but what you do see is the preponderance of them are not that. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, we, 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 we went to some, some links to try to understand whether these were bots or other kinds of automated act activity. It doesn't have the pattern of that. And you know, we can't rule that out that some of them are in that category, but it really doesn't look like that. So what it really looks like is a psychological reality that when you select for the, you know, the sample of people who are the most active, they really are very angry and upset and, you know, are the sort of trolls of the world here who are turning to these platforms to, you know, spew rage. That's what you see. Have you, did you actually, um, uh, I, I, obviously what you were doing is a data analysis, but did you reach out to any of them to speak to them? Did they, um... We didn't, I mean, uh, that was sort of out of the scope of what we were trying to do. We were much more on the quantitative side of this. It's interesting, I mean, in with the Atlantic piece, we talked to them about that and sort of what our obligations and responsibilities were to describe some of these people. We didn't name them with their last names, for example, which journalistically right. one might want to do, but we felt like that was not an appropriate thing, even though these were all public public language that they okay. had. Can I ask you, with. so I have to say that that was, by the way, everyone should read the article. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and it's really um, um, uh, well-written and very clear. Um, but what was interesting is that, right, you just used their first names. And I was just curious about that. I mean, they're public, right? I mean, you're not talking about private groups. You're talking about public groups. I mean, and they're bull. I mean, they're just, there's a torrent of information that they are producing. Why did you shy away from, why did you anonymize them? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a debate. I mean, so there wasn't, it wasn't a clear answer on that. I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a legal reason why we couldn't have it wasn't that wasn't the argument the argument was just more um we didn't feel that was necessary to tell the story we were telling and generally speaking i don't like the idea of none of us like the idea of putting people out there by name in this context even if they're pretty much calling it upon themselves well, I, I guess i guess for me i really wanted to see what heavy engagement was um that is like i it, it was hard to tell like is it like a hundred, like, what are they doing? I mean, is it something that is, you have to be on line like 24 seven to generate, or is it some, you know, just um, in between trying to finish your book? Oh, I'm sorry, I, 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 I that slipped out. But like, but no, but this is a really great contrast because like Scott, for example, like posts very frequently, like to Twitter, um, I have no idea how he, we've never actually discussed this, Scott. You don't need to give away your secrets, but like you might stage them or put them in some type of like one of like the things or whatever that like lets them dribble out slowly over time, whatever you do. But there is some amount of engagement that you have, not with everyone, but like if someone seems to genuinely engage, you'll drop back into the comments and say thank you, or you'll troll them more, or you'll kind of have fun with it. Right. And so there's like, there is like a little bit of limited engagement, but I can also see that taking up like 5% of your brain space or like less while you're doing a million other things. Like yeah. it's just not super intensive, although it's very public. 
Now, I'm trying to understand when you're talking about this high volume, are these people dropping back into their own threads and their own comments? Right, yeah. Are they liking other people's comments? Are they engaging in other people's content? Or is it very like narcissistic and kind of like yeah. self-contained where they're only interested in drum rolling their own, right. like peddling their own shit kind of thing? So so the, the data source here was public pages and groups. So this is mostly people who are commenting, liking, sharing public pages and groups. So they're going to a Ben Shapiro page and they're in the comments uh, writing all kinds okay. of stuff, right? I so think. it's that kind of thing. So, so, so they're kind of like, they're trying to kind of like, like, I don't know, like free ride off of Ben Shapiro. Right, dra right draft off of, as they say, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And a bunch right. of other pages like that. It's not just that, but but yeah, I mean that's that's a good way to think about. It. I mean, like when you go to a, you know, this is not in this story, but you go to the New York Times and when people start disabling comments, right? The people who are writing in those comments, that's who we're talking about here, right? It's that kind of profile of someone who is just I'm gonna take a thing uh, and and put it out there in a way that is you know using bad words and bad meanings and racist terminology, whatever it may be, and put it out there. So like you don't have to you know. You, the, the, the two of you could likely join the ranks of this group of 1% people relatively easily. You couldn't do it in like five minutes, but you could do it if you made a concerted effort to say, hey, I want to have part of my day most days be to go to these places and, and participate in this. So, 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 so oh, I'm sorry, just, just, just one quick thing is that, so is the strategy for influencing debate to have like 10 trolls or a hundred thousand, uh, you know, uh, five thousand trolls. It sounds to me like you should have ten really engaged trolls than having five thousand trolls. Um, or, or is that, or is that not? I mean, or is it just numbers are numbers, um, and it doesn't matter how you get there? Yeah, I mean the. So we can't say exactly the answer to that, but that only Facebook knows that, right? But. What you see when you look at the at the pattern of engagement is that it looks like if I was Ben Shapiro and you're like, why does, you know, they have probably a bunch of reasons why they rank very highly. Um, but one of the reasons seems to be likely that when they post these kinds of pieces, this army of trolls of this army of people will jump in and, and participate. And very likely that's one of the mechanisms oh. that causes those things to post. Yeah. So there's a there's a feedback loop there, right? You don't know exactly what the what the mechanism is, but but that seems to be the pattern that we're seeing. Certainly, when you look at aggregate engagement on these top pages and groups, and again, these top pages and groups themselves are a huge share of the overall activity because what you see is that it follows what's called a power law pattern of engagement. So the top 500 pages that we were looking at really are most of the overall activity in these public accounts. Um, you know, that that seems to be a, a likely reason why those pages are are doing so well. Not the only reason, but but one of them. How limiting is it from your data set, as far as you can tell, like that you only analyze public data? I don't actually know what the numbers are for how people. I mean, obviously engaging with, but speaking to and commenting on how you count that differently. So for instance, if someone is public, like if Scott is like publishing something in a fully public Facebook feed and I like Kate have all of my, all of my privacy settings maxed out and I see on Facebook and I see Scott's, Scott's kind of like post or whatever, and I share it. 
are you as an outside researcher going to be able to see that I shared it? Like, will you see the number or will you like, will you see mm -hmm. me as a number or will you, I mean, you won't be able to identify me? How, how, I mean, basically like, how, how like deep does the iceberg go? I feel like you're kind of describing to a certain extent, like that, that, like the, the tippy top, like this small cadre of like very powerful users who are fully public, but there has to be like a different way that the site is used in these private, in these, like, as I called them, like the Facebook walled gardens, where you kind of are like going in between and they're like, kind of like nested in each other. There has to be a way that this gets shared differently. Well, so a couple of thoughts to that. So, so, so one is, uh, I don't know what your privacy settings are, but I, they're probably not the typical user. Uh, I can promise you that most, most people really are not paying nearly as close attention to these things. And they've changed these rules so many times that yeah. a lot of the defaults are, uh, are, are much more open than you might expect from most users. That's one thing. So the second thing is the methodologies that we were seeing um, resulted in, in seeing, this is in the story, uh, about 52 million users, right? So when we say we were sampling the 1% of users, it was sampled from I know, I did see that number. Set. It was- a, it I thought was it was 40, I thought it was 42 million. It, 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 well, you would no, know. No, it was definitely 50, it was like 50 uh, something. I remember right. like pausing over that. I'm sure. I'm oh, sure you yeah. know. I'm sure you know your own study. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Scott's so, like I so, remember because it was divisible by <laughs> divisible by twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so so the you know there's certainly there's certainly activity that we're not going to see with this method, right? Absolutely. But we are seeing. It, it looks like a, a huge share of the overall users that are operating on these platforms, and I suspect you know we just did a couple months of of analysis in this in this paper like if you did the same thing for a much broader pool you could see a much bigger pool of the users that are out there because again these are on public pages and groups not not private activity so you really can see most everything that's happening on these public pages and groups how much are we supposed to blame facebook for this and this is obviously a normative question but i really i mean this is kind of i was i was meeting with some government people today to talk about ways that we could structure bills to get at some of these problems, um, ways that we could try to regulate um, guardrails, so to speak, around how money is spent and like when we decide to like bite into certain types of revenue piles and when we decide not to or when we force companies to or anything like that. Um, and I'm just kind of one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that there seemed to be this kind of collective with just the people I was meeting with. They were looking at a bunch of different sites. They were looking at Twitter, YouTube, Facebook and TikTok. And they were like, yeah, but TikTok is hands off. Like TikTok is not the problem because TikTok is like entertainment only. Like they are not like and I'm like and they're like, they're just, and they own that. They're not trying to do anything more than entertain us. That's all they want to do. And so like, that's just, you know, we we're like, it just doesn't seem that bad to us. I'm like, TikTok is a cesspool waiting to happen of public speech. And it is hugely sensorial in order to be entertainment only. And if you want any type of public discourse, you will like definitely like, if you had to choose, I asked them, I was like, would you choose Facebook or TikTok? If you could like, and they were kind of really taking pause. They were like, well, maybe we'd choose TikTok. And I was like, yeah, you'd choose a feed that just like said, 
gave you every it, you would literally be like do you know those do you remember wally like the characters in wally that are just like fat and sitting in the barker loungers yeah. and like like watching this thing and they're just like consuming 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 i'm like it would almost be like that that's like kind of what you're getting you're not putting yourself in front of anything different or hard you're not kind of coming into anything that's in conflict with what you'd want to like if you gave people a choice between cotton candy and broccoli, they would choose cotton candy every time. Like that's, you know, and so one of the things that I really think is that there has to be a lot of these platforms and there have to be kind of more of them. And some of them should be hewn to the social graph and some of them maybe shouldn't. But I guess my point is like, what do you think, how much do you think Facebook is to blame for this on a money-making because of like, the thing that we always hear that this is like revenue generating and they're making all this money so they don't want to give that up and how much of this is just like society replicating itself the mirror argument right like they're just holding facebook up as a mirror so it's a great question i i i think you know the the question scott was asking about you know is this the typical user in this profile I think is relevant there, right? Because I, I do think that's the case, right? The you know, the way humanity is organizing themselves is a reflection of this more than a platform choice. I don't think Facebook would want there to be one percent of super users like this. Certainly they would they would want it to be much more democratized in terms of the actual pattern of engagement. Um, I do think there are things they could do that this research suggests to to manage it differently if they were prioritizing some some ways that things were, were you know, were, were, were operating in the platform differently. I mean, the, the reporting that um, Sheer Frankel did after the 2020 election is a good example of that. You know, those kinds of changes to the algorithm where they had the, the so-called nice feed, which they then removed after a few weeks because engagement dropped, I think are a reflection of that, right? If you change those kinds of levers, these kinds of users have less influence or they would show up in less in terms of the way the algorithm is going to respond. So I think on that level, they do. And I think there's probably some things that are, reflective of the way moderation could be done differently. And, and Kate, I'd be really interested in your take on that, given your background. But um, I, I think more broadly, the, the thing that I'm working on next here is around alternatives to the way you could do regulation here that are more tied to harm mitigation rather than engagement. And I, I, I am like pretty convinced personally that if you, you know, take off the table something like, you know, we're not going to allow attention capitalism at all, which doesn't seem like we're going to do that anytime soon, then the way you'd have to go about this to avoid, you know, speech restrictions is to go after harm mitigation and say, hey, let's actually analyze users in randomized controlled trials along the ways that they're already building their platforms for product building uh, and actually assess what kind of consequences are happening. And I think that actually would be way easier than, uh, Folks would have you believe um, it would be controversial. It'd be, I'm not saying it would be actually easy. It would be difficult in practice, but like conceptually, it's easier than than people think. And I think like that's where laws could step in. That's where you know the Facebooks and other platforms of the world could do this. Can, can can I can I can I just jump in just for one second, just following up on this? So it is a feature, right, of so much of uh, of, of life, but also of online life that it obeys the power law. That is that like the small, the, 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 as we would say in the law, the discrete and insular minorities, the passionate minorities are the ones that produce the most content. In fact, they're the ones that produce the most interesting content. 
Um, and so like Wikipedia is so good because like they're just like a very, very small people, a number of people and they really care and they form a community and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so the question is really is, you know, is there an alternative to something like um, super users determining content um, just because it like w it is possible that a really nice platform is a really boring and non-engaged platform. Can I can I add to this? Like I was kind of thinking as you were writing this that like I was also talking to people about putting these types of guardrails in place before we get to the metaverse because this is just going to become this giant. Like if we don't start having some type of regulation and agency action or something like there is no there these are already like proliferating in like the very beta worlds of like of xr and so i just think that this is going and like and if it's if you're talking ar you're bleeding straight over into real life so it's not like there's any type of like real distinction but what i'm kind of curious about is like it almost feels as if someone is empirically testing like a Madisonian hypothesis of like a minority faction and the power of a minority faction. Like you're like, oh, okay. And like, this was actually always something that really like I struggled with with the founders, which was like both like we want to allow the minority to have a voice and we don't want them to take over everything. And because they have so many feelings run the whole show, um, like from the, you know, and that, that balancing point. And I feel like we're almost like the, some of these debates are like coming down to those type of philosophical questions. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's your amygdala brain is the part that's responding to these, to these triggers. Right. So it's, it's, they've gotten really good at that. I think, I think, you know, whatever whatever the, the the policy response would be needs to be curtailing that and it probably does come at the expense of of engagement probably means people use it less and and you know you know the the TikTok algorithm clearly is is even better at figuring out ways to, to to drive people to spend their whole life on it right that's probably not good i mean the in, in sort of separate work that i've done has been looking at um evaluations of how you know, exposure to, to digital content, you know, think of a 30 second video or something like that affects measures of uh, social trust, right? Social, it's been, been tracked for 50, 60 years by Pew. It's been declining over time. That's the, the folks who don't know, it's basically, do you trust the people around you to do the right thing? That's just different formulations, but that's the basic idea. And what we find is that, um, you know, exposure to lots of these different pieces of content I don't mean from this story, I mean in general, in term, including content that is intended for positive purposes, COVID education, whatever it may be, oftentimes reduces trust, right? And so I think there are measures like that where you could say, you know, we're not, we're not gonna restrict any particular piece of content because it does that, but maybe we don't wanna have a platform that in aggregate for millions of people makes them less trusting of each other, right? And that might be a better way to go after a topic like climate change than to say, hey, you can't just talk about climate change. It's like, no, we should try to foster exposure to material that is pro-social in these more intrinsic ways. And you don't have to have quite the same emphasis on you know, post-level or user-level re uh, review. You're still gonna have that, right? If someone has a suicide threat or posts revenge porn or whatever, you still have to review that. So it's not gonna make those problems disappear, but 
the, the point is that I think just focusing on those set of, of policy responses is never going to go after that underlying problem. I'm really curious. So Scott brought this to my attention. I think it's like a great kind of counterpoint, like the POW videos that are getting um, getting put up on social media right now, and uh, the the ways those are kind of like are proliferating, and the difficulty between kind of categorizing those as POW videos in the moment that are banned by the UN and like a host of other international organizations and like we recognize are really harmful and um, the newsworthiness value or the the value to kind of like contributing to humanizing what are typically wars that we don't aren't able to fully grasp except in a few kind of snapshots like that are really poignant on the New cover of like Time Magazine or like whatever else it is um, at the time. And so like the balancing act of that, and I'm kind of very struck by like, I've been thinking a lot about this, like how the platforms are supposed to deal with that new situation. Like when we haven't figured any of that out yet, like not for the short term and not for the long term. Like there is no like collective decision making that like it was totally fine to post that dead baby that had drowned like in the Mediterranean Sea that from like Syria do you remember the toddler like I will never forget that photo like it was so jarring for me um that was like being held by a Greek soldier and like that being like an okay thing not okay but like a like a socially recognized good thing to post to bring awareness of this war versus something that was like not commercializing, but kind of like just like kind of using the violence of the entire conflict to, to kind of to create to to create both, I don't know, po political pressure, but also to sell newspapers and other types of things and to create long term harm. And so, like, I'm just curious, like as much as we want to put like objective guardrails into place, I do think that at a certain point, a lot of these hard things come down to like, we look at these individual super users and we find out when they're posting shit and when they're not, right? Like, and most of them are, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's, I think it's gonna be a lot more of that. I mean, like that's the conclusion of this piece, right? Is is this, we should be doing just what you said. We should be looking at these super users and cracking down on the ones who are saying, you know, I wanna shoot Nancy Pelosi in the head. And then a bunch of them went and stormed the Capitol afterward, right? I mean, so uh, there is a, a a pretty direct line of, of causation there that, that, seems, that seems pretty direct. I do think though, um, and again, this is the next bit of work I'm working on. Is it, it, there, there's there's a there's a there's a different type of harm that is not picked up by that, and I think we do ourselves a disservice by trying to have everything operate under post level review, right? Then we're going right into First Amendment issues. We're going right into you know assessments of what kind of speech is okay and what kind is not. I think when you're going after a, a platform that isn't operating on that basis, it's operating under a very you know, utilitarian consequentialist set of, of structures, they've gotten really, really, really good at optimizing for these kinds of metrics. And we have to figure out ways to change what they're optimizing for. We're never going to win by out reviewing them. We have to win by convincing them, regulating them, forcing them to change what they're optimizing for on some basis. Now, 
maybe we can do that with Facebook and YouTube and can't with TikTok in the same way. I mean, we have to have those conversations about how those things work, but I, I, I don't think the it's too hard is a good enough answer. I think we have to say, you know, there are other levers that we haven't considered before, right? If, 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 if we have a, you know, a set of regimes that are controversial and difficult for, for public health, for, for dealing with the environment, for different things, and they recognize those are areas where regulation has been fraught and have other kinds of questions, but like we have to take models from those kinds of places to look at how to, how to make these things better. Yeah. Dan, E, it is so nice to see you. I don't know if you've ever been on before, but um, very nice uh, map of the United States and fancy guitars behind you. But, uh, first, can you tell us what guitars they are? <laughs> Uh, it's a, uh, there's a Les Paul, classical, yeah, it's made by a Japanese maker back in the seventies, probably not a alive anymore named Kadama Kano. Okay. Okay. That sounds very serious. So you may ask your question now. <laughs> uh, Nathaniel, thanks for, uh, sharing with us your information. Um, your analysis is about the super users, and I was uh, curious if there is a way to track, uh, you know, in an aggregate level, um, the influence they have by seeing where their con the consumers of their content go. So if they're posting publicly, yes, um, you could, uh, that kind of option exists. I mean, with the most part, um, this kind of data set that that's difficult because you know as individuals, uh, even if they're public profiles, they're not going to have the reach of a you know big big national page. So the way that would usually happen typically is it would be reshared by one of these big pages, and you would pick it up that way. Um, and that is possible. Um, and there's quite a lot of evidence that some of the largest pages are actually operating by some pretty nefarious methods for. And oftentimes a violation of terms of service doing coordination to game these algorithms. There's been a lot of evidence of that. So I'm just just to put a point on it, that there are it's just as likely that someone who is trolling you with bot type of like things or engaging through bot type of things or commenting could also be a person that is like they could also have coordinated bot activity to make it look like people are consuming them at super user levels or not that could be happening or like you're not like or it does or both i mean there are definitely bots on these platforms I, the thing we're seeing doesn't look like bot activity this looks like users who are performing you know engagement they are they are they're using the platform in the way that it was intended the way it was intended is to post stuff and what they're posting is is terrible i mean it it, it in some sense is pretty simplistic but it you know it it, it takes a, a pretty direct line to the aggregate that we're talking about here Ducks with pants. Nice to see you, friend. Oh, wait. There you go. I unmuted you. Go ahead. Ah, thank you. Um, nice to be heard. So um, first, it, it seems a bit odd with a system that should be awash in big data to detect aggregate trends is actually having its behavior. It's actually getting driven by users whose behavior are somewhat outliers from the norm. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other question I had, which is, maybe is not your purview, uh, since you're just looking at this as a black box, but, you know, is this a case where 
you know, they're, they're getting what they're measuring for and what they're measuring for sucks, that they just happen to have a not particularly good model of meaningful social interaction. Mm, that's um, a good question. Or are they, is it a very good model? Alternatively, are, you know, are there, you know, incentives for them to have these users uh, driving the content because there are certain content aggregators who get to um, game the system? You know, the Ben Shapiro's of the world who seem to be, you know, more popular than you would imagine otherwise. Shailish, I just want to point out that everyone so far has had guitars hanging behind them. And so just like you're on notice, we're just yeah. going to we're going to cancel you if you don't have a guitar. Uh, just I know you're waiting in the wings there. Uh, anyways, uh, great question. Ducks with hands. Scott's guitar is coming. Uh, I mean, I, the, 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 the reality of, it, of what we can see is the public behavior. Right? I know this is a frustrating answer, but it's, it's just the truth of it, right? So we can't say exactly how or why Facebook has created a platform for that. But when you put together that pattern with what has been reported elsewhere, it does seem like this sort of thing if, is what is maximizing the metrics that they say that they care about, right? So could they be doing a different thing? Certainly. Um, I don't know why they're not. I, they've, they've probably tried a bunch of different things, and this is the thing that they've settled on. The thing that they've settled on has resulted in a small share of of, of overall users being the ones who are driving most of the engagement on these pages. So I think it's a fair guess that if that's the case, it's probably because those are the, that, that pattern is what is driving the metrics that they are trying to actually maximize. And so they probably have to change the metrics they're trying to maximize if they're going to get a different pattern of activity. I mean, you also just can't make humans do things that they really, I mean, you can like, like fight a war, but like, uh without authoritarian control generally speaking you have to create incentive structures to kind of force to get people to do certain types of things and it would be really interesting to decide what specifically and narrowly we meant by good content and like good public discourse and try to like incentivize i think that would be i think it would be almost impossibly hard and um yeah I, so I don't know like what that would look like, but it's a great, it's a great, and it's also unclear like what, when speech has ever been unhewn from like some type of subscription or advertising based model at, at scale. Um, we've never had consumer speech at this level before. Um, and so that's, you know, something to consider. Scott, do you want to show us your fancy guitar? <laughs> I feel like you do. What, Scott, what is it? It is a 1972 double anniversary Gretsch hollow body guitar, which um, uh, I, I'm not going to say uh, uh, who in my family did it, um, uh, but somebody knocked it over and uh, broke it on Christmas. And <gasps> I, was, I was so upset and I, I got it. I got it fixed. Um, is it OK? Yes, it is OK. Um, it turns out um, I didn't realize this, but like the neck is like, that's the thing, like, first of all, like, look at this, like, how do you realize how the neck stays to the body? It's glued. And yeah. so what happens is if you have like a 50 year old guitar, the glue dries up and breaks and becomes brittle. That and seems so that, very likely to me. I know it does, doesn't it? Um, yeah. And, and so um, I have to say that I felt when it happened, um, I 
like I felt an existential dread that there was something beautiful in the world that was no longer in the world. I really felt like this feeling like, yeah, but then it was fixed. And so, um, but, oh, you want, you want to hear me play something? Yes. Uh, oh, I I'm mean, sorry. We have to I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I, no, no, no. But the thing is, I don't want to upstage Nate. So. Oh, not, yeah. But, but, no, yeah, no, no, we're not going to do that. Um, no, no, I will no. say this. I will say this. Have you ever, do you remember the red violin? Like that was like an Academy Award winning film at some point. You don't remember this? There is like scenes in that with a violin maker, like making, like painting the varnish on and like gluing all of the pieces together. And it's very clear that like, it's all kind of just held together by glue. <laughs> and I was kind of like, at this moment, I was like, what the actual fuck? Like, <laughs> like, how do these things last for centuries? <laughs> like yeah. with glue. I, and like Ben and I have had a lot of conversations about this with like, like, you know, with his resin projects and stuff. It's actually the adhesive is stronger than the underlying wood. Yeah. So anyways, anyways, but, sorry. We've, we've gotten off on a tangent. Content, I'm going to content that, moderate us. See, see, that's exactly the bad thing that super users do. Yeah, they divert they, they, <laughs> right, they divert attention away from the the the, the question at hand which is yeah. how, how how do we make um our 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 shalish you're such a star <laughs> yeah yeah first of all tell us what guitar it is first yeah yeah it's the is the first guitar you get as a student and then you know <laughs> occasionally touch it uh, but yeah, uh, you challenged me. So I... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, I have a fifty-dollar guitar that I uh, bought oh, in the okay. pandemic somewhere in this house. And... Do you? Where is it? Where's yeah. your ukulele, Nate? Jesus! <laughs> Definitely not, not functioning. That's what we buy in Brooklyn when we don't have room to store guitars. We just buy Jalish. I bought that guitar. I, I I played for a while and then I lost touch and then I looked at Scott's videos and I'm back. Like I'm gonna start working on it. Awesome. <laughs> the power of the super user. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you you three are the perfect group of people to ask this question. So as Scott already mentioned, uh, it's actually pretty well known that uh, popularity of web pages follows a power law distribution. And you can, you can compare this with also distribution of wealth is sort of naturally follows a power law distribution. You, you can't really pin it on any one social network. It's just a natural phenomenon. Uh, but I feel like most discussions about content quality and content moderations can I get muddled? Like they don't make a distinction between how the problem is different when you're talking about the head versus long tail. So in long tail, sort of examples are like automatically deleting objectionable images is a long tail problem. You couldn't do it with human editors. And keeping track of what nonsense about vaccine efficacy the top 100 people are sharing is a problem that's like headish part of the distribution needs human editors. So I, I, I think that distinction is so often lost in, seems to be lost in uh, sort of discussions about content moderation everywhere. So am I right about this or am I, like I, I, I kind of find it frustrating and what can we do about it? And do sort of Facebook and all these systems, do they even recognize that they need different solutions for these ex two extremes of that distribution? Ugh, it's such a good point. Do you mean, by the way, just over time? Like, is that like your, is that, I'm trying to like, 
So are you saying that this is like a power log and the X axis here is is just is time? Or is the X oh, no. axis number of users? It's, or is it's, the X okay. No, no, it's not time. It's basically if you take all the users and rank them by how many views they get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Then yeah. it's a power law distribution. So so that's why I compared it with it. wealth. If you rank all the people by an amount of money they have, it's a power law distribution. Right. And that's why, like in, in that world, we understand the notion of we need to tax the rich people because that's where the money is. And long tail needs a different taxation, yes. taxation solution. But we don't make that kind of distinction when it comes to Facebook. It's as if we want a magic algorithm that fixes it all. And there isn't one. You yeah. need human editors at the top. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, should, you should write our sequel because that's basically the exact argument of what we're making here. And, and my colleague, Matt Hinman, who's uh, a GW professor, he wrote a book called The Internet Trap, which is basically making the same argument you just made as well. Uh, I mean, the... And Kate, I'm curious your your answer on this. Like, why doesn't Facebook reorganize the 15,000 plus reviewers they have to focus on top engaged users rather than the queue yeah. of incoming incoming terribleness? Because they're not because the pe people are self selecting. You're not having as many conflicting uses. So the conflicting uses, and this is my this is my next paper, um, which is that basically the conflicting uses are coming when they are between two teenagers that are pissed at each other. And they're between mm. two neighbors who are both angry about like the mm. same like new zoning law, or they're like, there's something like that. They're not happening necessarily. Like the post hoc period of moderation is not happening at the level in which you have, you don't bother to report, a, maybe you do, but you don't bother to report a person who's like a super user. You think it's one not going to matter. And you also kind of think that like, there is, you know what you're coming there for. Like there is like, you're buying, you know, it's like, just kind of like how like you don't report Fox news anymore, or you don't, you know, or at least for me, I don't like stop. I've stopped getting excised about, oh my God, I can't believe what Fox news did because I know what Fox News does. Like I know what they do. And like, there's a certain point where the fatigue of like reporting that is just you normalize it. And so I do think that like there's, that's part of the reason. I don't know if that makes sense. And like, that's why I was partially asking about like in his power log, is it taking time into account? Because I also think that these, the machine learning algorithm of how these are going to like, how, the post hoc feedback mechanism has fed into this in the development of this entire industry of moderation, which is like 15 years long, old, is like they just didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, and all of these people are trained on teenagers flagging each other. They're not trained necessarily on someone posting you like Ukraine prisoner of war videos that are meant to raise awareness or money or do whatever else, like with any secondary, tertiary, like quaternary, like, like kind of intent behind them um, that you're supposed to read into, like in the posting. And so like, yeah, I just, I mean, they are just getting good at the post hoc version of like flaming your neighbor uh, on, on, on Facebook. And now it's already, it's like way past that. So that's like my impression, but like, I don't know, like, and that's like, yeah. Can, can I, can I, I'm sorry, before you respond. So it, do I just have what you said? Um, uh, correct, um, Kate. So the point is, is that the 15,000 content moderators are really kind of concerned with 
like very local kind of disputes, whereas that this issue that Nate has identified is a kind of systemic problem that like doesn't really it manifests itself in particular um, conflict. This this is my last best guess from the last conversations I had with people at Escalation at uh-huh. Facebook, which was like that they're, they have gotten much better at filtering out the angry neighbors and the angry teenagers, uh, right? Uh, and they're much better at that, but there still is like a fair amount of that type of thing that needs to be like kind of that that is like they are requesting human content moderation review. There is now a standard in which human content moderation review is the is like the thing that you're owed like as like kind of a due process type of of thing and so like that kind of is is happening and people all think that their problems are the most important problems and um you know and so i think that that is yeah that's basically what i'm saying the other thing is like i'm sure people are flagging all of this content from super users but like if there is a bias to treat or like some type of whitelist as we've heard about, or like all of these other types of public figures and political figures or influencer figures that they're kind of like, like looping into the mix as exceptions, none of this matters because they're exceptions. And so there is going to be some type mm. of like, there's going to be some type of like, well, like the everyman can't call their neighbor a effing like you know an effing bitch like blah blah or some dehumanizing thing but if ben shapiro does it speaking about like a huge group of refugees or something then it's totally like it's you know it's political speech and so it's different and that is kind of that is a little bit i think the the most damning part of honestly neat a lot of the stuff that you're reporting is that like there's probably exceptions being made and by being nasty trollish like not playing like non-civil human beings people are getting themselves put onto white lists basically and like working their way up to being ben shapiro's you know without any of kind of not that we want like not that we want a ton more of those but like yeah basically being like you're re- they're recreating so i mean the, the thought that jumps out from what you just said to me is is if it is the case that they're just waiting for flags and that's the only data set that they source review from that's the problem right i'm not saying they should have a different standard for evaluation of abuse that shouldn't be different i mean we know that it is different for super for for politically connected people from the other reporting but i'm saying keep the same standard but actually just have your regular flag queue and then have a separate queue that says, hey, let's look at the top, forget 1%, tenth of a percent, hundredth of a percent of users and actually see what they're posting. And if they are violating terms of service elsewhere, right, they can run this query way easier than we can have a, a different you know, review queue for that. I mean, I think we know that they, they try to do that for cases that are more salient, right? When they, when they have, you know, teams that are trying to head off you know content around terrorism or other kinds of things it's because they are anticipating what's coming making effort to see what's coming source it on their platform before someone flags it right they're 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 going to this effort and they're really good at it they've invested a ton of resources they spent a lot of money and time on it right i'm saying they should try to do something analogous to that for the worst of the common user right that's that's what's not happening but is the problem maybe that that this is their bread and butter 
that is that these are the, I mean, that's the problem as you were saying, right? In, in your article, which is that they're really interested in engagement and these people produce engagement. So it's like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna throw your, your best customers out of the store. I mean, isn't, yeah. isn't. That's very that's, much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we should, we should give them credit where they've, you know, there's a reason why they don't have, you know, child abuse on the platform, right? They've, they've really good at that. Right. But this is the counterpoint. They're not invested in this and probably for a different reason. Well, to that point, like child abuse is not on the platform in ways that we see it. But like you can talk to a lot of like plaintiff's attorneys and I'm like friends with many of them who will tell you all of the ways in which like a gang of even just 10 or 15 kids like picking on someone can drive them straight to suicide. And like all of these. I mean, how do you scale for a 15 person, 14 year old problem? like uh you know that changes day to day and like half online half offline half on your platform half on every other platform and like while you're doing while you're policing these super users the harms are no more severe or devastating and that's like part of i mean i think that that is you know that is kind of part of the problem in some of in some of the making hard rules around this and saying, well, you could like dial this up or dial this down. I do think that it's like all of it is just kind of, um, uh, yeah, but we're going to go meet for in person for beers right now. Uh, I will text you where I'm headed. Yay. Cause we're two blocks <laughs> away from each other as it turns out. Um, Scott, we'd invite you, but you have cooties and also you yes, have sir. to practice the guitar. No, no, that's all right, because I'm going to flame you all on social media, so screw you. This was a super fun discussion. Come back anytime, Nate. This was great. Come back you want, with your co-authors, too. Yes, that's right, because you because you want to be not just a guest, but you want to be a super guest. Be a super guest. You can be your first super guest. We have lots of co-hosts, but no super guests, so you yeah. can be a super guest. I don't guest. think I spewed any, any obscenities on this call at all, so, you know, I can come back with that, too. Far fewer okay. than I did, I think. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're going to leave it there. Um, we will be back on Wednesday. We have, um, I don't know who we have. It'll be up to Ben and Genevieve. Um, and uh, we're not allowed to have more, but until then, Scott. We can have just really vigorous, awful engagement. Um, uh, so um, thank you so much, Nate. This was, yeah. this, was, this was great. It was so much fun to talk so to you. So great. Thank and, you for coming on. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.